Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've welcomed us in, and that instead of looking upon us in our sinfulness, you look at us through the the lens of your Son, and you see his righteousness on our account, and so we have a a right standing with you. Thank you. Help us as we consider this text of Scripture this morning that we would worship you, that we would understand, that we would be grateful, that we would embrace what you have for us, and that you might motivate us to walk in the power of your Spirit, walking by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever get tired? Now, I'm not talking about like you didn't get enough sleep last night. That happens to everybody. I'm talking about do you ever get just tired? Your life, it, it just weighs down upon you. Emotions just weigh down upon you. Your spiritual condition doesn't feel right. You just feel weighed down. Do you ever feel a struggle in your own soul? or pressure from your circumstances. You ever want to just throw your hands up in the air and just say, enough, 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 too much. Our text of scripture this morning will give us divine insight into how we can continue while having all of this weight bearing down on us. We must notice this, first off, before we even dive into the passage, God is heavily invested in our continuance in the faith. God is heavily invested in our continuance in the faith. The entire book of Hebrews is a letter to a struggling people. A people who have experienced heartbreak, heartache, and harm. And the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, has been demonstrating from a theological perspective many reasons for continuing in the faith. He's giving us insight as to why and how we should continue in the faith. He's told us that Jesus is better than Old Testament revelation. He's better than all those things that, that God revealed Spiritual as it was through Old Testament prophets that came in bits and pieces. But through Christ, a better message has been brought. A more complete message. A message that fills us and sanctifies us and finishes God's work in us. He's better than angels, both in his, his deity in chapter 1 and his humanity in chapter 2. He's better than angels. No need to... To, to bow down and worship angels. Jesus is better than them. He's better than the law that came through Moses and Moses himself. Moses was a great leader. He was faithful. He was faithful in the house that God had given him, but he was not like Jesus. Jesus is faithful over the house, just like the one who builds a house is greater than the house itself. Jesus is greater, better, better than Joshua. Now you'll remember Joshua was the one that God used to bring the people of Israel into the land of promise. God used Joshua to, to cross over and, and into the land that, that previously the people refused to go into. And, and they conquered the land. But you'll remember they only had rest for just a short time when that rest could have been an eternal rest. Jesus gives us that eternal rest. He's better. Jesus is better than the Levitical priesthood. The, the, the Levitical priests, they would bring gifts and offerings to, to make amends for the people. But they first had to make an offering for themselves. They, they understood our sinfulness because they were sinful themselves. Jesus, with greater sacrifices, comes and makes an offering. And it's a, it's a, a once-for-all offering. He's better than the Levitical priests. Jesus is better because he operates from a better covenant. The old covenant is not bad. 
It's not poor. It's just not as superior. The old covenant had its place, and, it, and it, it revealed God's glory, and it revealed God's person, it revealed God's character and His nature, and it also revealed very clearly our frailties, our sinfulness, and our inability to keep that law. The new covenant comes, and it, it enables obedience. It takes us from the letter to the spirit. It takes us from inferior to superior. It, it takes us to completion. The, the new covenant is better. So Jesus is better because he operates out of a better covenant. He's better because he's made a better sacrifice. A once for all sacrifice. A satisfying sacrifice that never has to be repeated. The priests, they would every year go back in into the Holy of Holies and make another Sacrifice Jesus once for all, the end of all things. He made a sacrifice once for all, never to be repeated. He's a better sacrifice on a better altar. You know, the altar that they were operating on was received by direct revelation from God, right? We know about this altar, this altar and, and God empowered them to accomplish it. It was wonderful. It's a great altar. But it's only a pattern of the one in the heavens. It's a better altar. It's a better altar. And finally, he is better because his sacrifice accomplishes a better result. The people have been struggling, and you'll remember the context of Hebrews, I trust. They were a, a Jewish population that had come to know Jesus as their Savior. And after the, their initial meeting of Jesus and their subscribing to Jesus, their believing on Jesus and their new birth, they encountered persecution. And it was heavy persecution. It was, it was a detaching kind of persecution. They left the things that they had. They were dispersed amongst the Gentiles. It was really hard to take. And the author of Hebrews reminds them of that as a means of saying, hey, listen, you've been through this before. And you'll remember when you did that, you recognized that what God has to offer you is better than anything that you were leaving behind. So you could joyfully endure the spoiling of your goods. He reminds them of that. And then, at the end of chapter 10, he makes this statement to these struggling believers. He says that they were not of those who shrink back. Shrink back, meaning turn away, run away, run and hide, tuck tail and run. Not of those who shrink away or shrink back and are destroyed, but you are of those who have faith and preserve your souls. And preserve your souls. So he says, you don't have a fake faith that runs when things get difficult. You have a real faith that lasts to the end of time. This is who I know you to be. He's, he's encouraging them in the face of their struggle. God has told them that faith is the instrument through which God's people accomplish His will. You can see it in chapter 11. It says, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. The reason that Abraham was pleasing to God was by faith. The reason that Noah was pleasing to God, by faith. The reason that Abel, by faith. The patriarchs, by faith. Moses, by faith. Hold everyone. Every example, by faith they did this. Why is that so important? Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That was not my words. That was the words of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. It's impossible to please God without faith. When he transitions from chapter 11 into chapter 12, he says, Therefore, because of all of that God has done, because Jesus is better, because the only way you can please God is by faith, because of the testimony of God's people coming by faith and pleasing God, therefore, seeing or since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In these opening verses, God calls his people to run with patience the race that is set before us. 
paying close attention to those words is very important. He says, you run the race, how? With patience. What race? The race that's set before us. And the question is, who set it before you? You know what's so interesting, friends? So often we have devised plans for how our day, week, month, year, and life is going to go. We have these plans and we put them into operation and we, we try to make it happen. And we find ourselves many times, not all the times, disappointed. It didn't turn out quite the way that I anticipated. We try to order our own path. But listen to these texts of Scripture, just for your meditation. In Psalm 37, in verse 23, the Bible says this, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Psalm 40, in verse 2, He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, set my feet upon a rock, listen carefully, making my steps secure. Proverbs 16 and verse 9, The heart of a man plans his way, listen, but the Lord establishes his steps. We can make all kinds of plans. And oftentimes we, we, we might be setting our own race before us or trying to run someone else's race in their stead. All the while, God has laid out a race in front of us and we want to walk a different path. Why would we want to walk a different path than the one God's laid out before us? You ready? I don't like that one. That one's too hard. That one's too difficult. Oh, there's difficulty in my pathway. Hmm. The grass over there looks greener. <laughs> and we start walking. Let me ask you a question. Is that walking by faith? That's not walking by faith. We walk by faith when we recognize that God's laid a path out before us and that path may, in fact, incorporate difficulty. It might feel like a heavy burden and a weight, a weight that, that really just seems to bring me down and I don't know what else to do. But God set that path before you. Faith, faith enables us to walk the path God has placed in front of us. Since we think we have our own autonomy, we often try to live our lives the way we see fit. And, and you know what's so good about our God? Because we've all done this. We've all tried to walk the other path. God overrides our plans. In his providential care, he says, no, that's not the way you're going. Can you think of any biblical illustrations of that? Dozens, but I'll just bring up the one about the fish. <laughs> you know the fish? The whale? Jonah? The one that the world says, well, that certainly couldn't take place. Well, whatever. If you don't want to believe God's word, that is your prerogative. You will stand accountable for your lack of faith in what God has revealed. As for me, in my house, so far as I have influence, we will trust that the Bible is God's inerrant, infallible word. We're going to believe what it says, even when it is not popular among our society. Ultimately, while we want to go in our own way and we have our own thoughts, ultimately what we really want, if you're a believer, you want God's will. You want God's design in your life. You want him to order your steps. You want him to lay out the path. You want to go where he wants you to go. Sometimes the process is very unpleasant. Sometimes it's difficult. It's not what we anticipated. And I think we see that. I want to just help us frame this passage just a little bit. We're not going to dive in deep anywhere. We want to see this passage. It is so rich and beautiful. In, in verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 12, God shows us that our own weakness makes continuing difficult. Our own weakness makes continuing difficult. He says in verse 1, let us lay aside every weight. Now a weight, we've discussed this recently, is not sinful. A weight is just something that bogs us down. 
which is why he says, and sin, which so closely hangs on to us, which so closely grabs on to us. He says, lay aside every weight, every obstacle, everything that would cause you to deviate from God's will, everything that, that weighs you down and distracts you from following Christ. Lay aside every weight and the sin which, which holds on to us so closely. What does he tell us to do in the face of this weight and sin? Aside from laying off, he gives us a key in verse 2. He says, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. The reason we will persevere to the end is because we're going to look to Jesus. We're going to see that in the face of everything he did, he had a, a God-entranced vision of all things. He, he said, I will not deviate even when it hurts. You remember how it hurt. You remember when he wanted everything in his human being, wanted to run from the cross. He went into the garden and he prayed, God, if, there, if there's another way. He didn't pray it once. I'm talking about the deity. Jesus the Son of God, the Son of Man, this, this Jesus that we revere, he, he three times besought the Lord, take this away! Is there another way? But that wasn't the end of his prayer. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, in the book of Hebrews, we have this great text where Jesus, where, where the, the author of Hebrews points us to, to Jesus, the, the high priest of our confession, the one that's passed through the clouds. He says, we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. It's not like Jesus floated through life and everything was laid out for him. You'll remember he said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Foxes have holes. The birds have nests. I've got nowhere to sleep. He didn't have it easy. He was hurting. He was hurting physically. And guaranteed he was hurting emotionally. You think he hurt spiritually? Can you enter into his world? It's, it's, it's impossible. He's on the cross. God makes him sin. Makes him become sin, not make him commit sin. Makes him become sin. And he says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Can you just imagine this? Union with the Father from eternity past. Here he is in time and space as the Son of God, the Son of Man, who fulfilled the Father's will. He obeyed in every way. He hangs on the cross, becoming sin for us, and he feels forsaken. We can run the race looking unto him. He knows what it's like to hurt and to grieve, to be burdened, and to be weighed down. So this first text talks about him being weighed down. And then you come into verses 3 through 11, and it's introduced in verse 3 by, by this statement. He says, consider him. Well, who's him? Jesus. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary, that's weighed down, or faint hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, you're not dead yet. You haven't finished the course. You can see in these texts, first verses 1 through 3, our weakness makes continuing difficult, but we look unto Jesus. As you look from verses 3 through 11, God shows us that our circumstances can make continuing difficult and what he'll start to tell you is that have you not forgot or have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons my son do not regard lightly the discipline of the lord nor be weary when you are reproved by him for the lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives in the in the old testament where this is quoted from in proverbs 3:12 
it says, in whom he delights, which is quite a, a beautiful thing to say. It is for discipline, for training that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline or does not train? If you are left without training, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we've respected them. Shall we not much more be sub subject to the father of spirits, the one who, who, who is the father of, of all that are his, and live? For they disciplined us or trained us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. We can continue reading there, but for, for this portion of our discussion in this regard, we're just trying to get this sense that God shows us that continuing is difficult because of our circumstances. Our circumstances may be quite challenging. As we get to the next section, verses 12 and following, God shows us that our community of saints can aid us through our weakness. Our community of saints can aid us through our weakness. We're going to come back and, and deal with verses 3 through 11. Look what it says beginning in verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Can you feel the pressure of that verse? You feel the weight in that verse? Did you feel the weight in verses 1 and 2? Let us... Lay aside every weight. We see it's, it's plain as day in verses 1 and 2, and it really has to do with, with the, the challenges of our own weakness. As you get into the next section, you see in verse 3, it says, you know, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners, lest you grow weary. Feel the weight there? And that's regarding our circumstances, because things get hard. There's difficulty. Now as you come to this next section, he starts to talk about, about the, this weight that's on us. It, it's, he's picking up that running analogy that he started in verse 1. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it, listen carefully, see to it that no one, no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. We could read further, but I think the, the idea is already come forth. He's talking about not you, individual Christian. We, we, mis we make a mistake when we get too much bogged down in, how does this personally apply to me? And this verse must be about me in some way, so how, how does this apply to me? And we miss the bigger picture. He's talking about the corporate body here. Which is why he says, pick up the drooping hands. Strengthen the weak knees. Sometimes it's people around us that are str struggling and they're hurting. And you know what they need? Not for us to kick dirt in their face, to look down our noses critically. They need us to come along and pick them up out of the dirt. They need us to get underneath their, their arm, lift them up and say, hey, we can do this. Let's go. We're looking this way. They need it. We need it. Which is why in verse 15 he says, make sure that no one fails to, to, to understand and grasp and experience the grace of God. Don't leave anyone behind. But we get, we get very selfie. Selfie. Please stop it. Stop it with the selfies already. Please, I've had enough. Take some us-ees, okay? Us-ees. It's much better than selfies. We get very selfie. It's about me. He's not saying, hey, your arms are drooping down. Hey, lift them up. Your knees are shaking. Oh, straighten them out. He says, look over there. There's someone hurting. Minister to them. And you know what? A lot of times that one that's, that's drooped down like this, it's me. It's you. You need that ministry. And, and you need someone to come alongside and lift you up. This is why we're here, friends. 
This is what we come together for. We don't come together and say, hey, that's a great Christian smile you put on this Sunday. Great suit, pal. It's not about that. It's coming together to minister to one another because we're broken and hurting people. We need each other. Don't think you can do this alone. You're foolish to think you can do this alone. You'll fail. You'll, you'll crumble down under the pressure. You don't have what it takes. The author of Hebrews is saying, hey, listen, you need the community of saints that you've been called to. So our attention now, we, we've seen these three elements of the weight. There's, there's the weight of our own weakness, right? There's, there's the weight of our circumstances. And then there's the, there's the lifting of the weight from the community of saints that God has called us to. It's like, ooh, a little breath of fresh air from the depth of difficulty. Well, the fresh air comes much sooner. In fact, we, we sensed a, fresh of, a, a breath of fresh air in verse 2, didn't we? Looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We, we already got a breath of fresh air. And then in, in verse 3, he says, consider him. Consider Christ. He, he's pointing us to Christ again. Well, isn't that just the way? Isn't that what we try to do every week when we come together? Listen, it's not about looking in within you to find something great. It's about looking to him. Now, if you're a believer, God's spirit dwells in you. So yes, there is something great in there, but don't look at your inner resources, your own, because you'll, you'll, find, yourself, you'll find yourself failing and frail and inept. You look at Christ. When you look at Christ, you'll always see victory. When you look at Christ, he'll lift you up. When you look at Christ, you'll see, you'll see real strength. So we, let's get back to verse 3 now. Our text this morning that we want to consider, and we're not going to dive in. I told you that already. Our attention will be in this middle section, verses 3 through 11. And in this text, God urges, he urges our continuance in the faith by giving us two motivators. Two motivators. The first motivator is that we're to consider Jesus' earthly pattern. Consider Jesus' earthly pattern. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now Jesus did. Jesus finished the course. We know this. What the author of Hebrews is saying and the Spirit of God is saying to you and I today, to you and I today, is that no matter what we face in this life, no matter what it is, no matter how steep it is, how heavy it is, how rocky the pathway, we must continue and finish the race. We want to be those who persevere to the end. Lest we think the path for Jesus was easy because he was both human and divine, we have other examples, human examples, that have followed him persevering to the end through the pains of persecution. Can you think of one? Paul immediately comes to our mind, right? Now listen, we live in the 21st century. Do you see the tide turning? Well, we already saw the tide turn. It just keeps on smashing down on us. What generation is it going to be where they start really bringing the heat? I don't think we're going to get out of this without, <laughs> without persecution, friends. Do you? Do you think we're going to make it out of this, this generation without severe persecution? It, I don't think so. I think you're fooling yourself to think you're going to get through this without severe persecution. It's, it's coming our way. It may be far sooner than we think, or maybe it's further off than I think. I don't know, but I can tell you it's not far. We need texts of Scripture like this to help us not to try to find a devious way around that persecution, but rather just say, let's walk the road together. Let's walk the road together. Let's face it together. They come in. They ask us to denounce Christ, whether that's how they do it or some other way. Let's do this together. We do it together. Paul already laid out the perfect example for us for, for 
us mere humans. Where the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Any thoughts on who that's talking about? Talking about Jesus, right? The appearing of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, the apocalypse, the, the, the revelation, the manifestation of God's glory in Jesus. He's talking about anyone who loves Christ and is focused on Christ, they Two will receive the crown of righteousness. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award it to them on that day. What, what do we see? Paul says, here, here I'm, I'm, my, my time is up. I'm done. The, the, the road has come to an end. I've kept the faith because I've been looking to Christ. Do the same. Do the same. Sounds to me like Paul was looking to Jesus and considering him who endured, like this passage is telling us to do. Jesus endured to the very end, and the question we might ask is Why? Why did Jesus endure to the very end? Why did he struggle with um, sin to the shedding of his blood? Why? Because he knew he needed to fulfill the Father's plan, first of all. That's the first reason. Secondly, he knew that my eternal life was at stake. And your eternal life was at stake. Jesus endured to the very end. Because your life was on the line. Think about that. That's humbling. That's humbling to think that Jesus just endured to fulfill God's plan and to bring about the finality and the fullness of my salvation. My salvation, our salvation, rested fully upon him. If we try to continue on in the faith without considering Jesus, we will become weary and faint-hearted. That's what it says. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He tells us this is the way to maintain. This is the way to head forward. This is the way to run the race. You won't make it any other way. Why? Well, first of all, I'd say uh, we would lose sight of our purpose. It's easy to lose sight of our purpose. Isn't it, isn't it easy to lose sight of your purpose when you've got to deal with the mundane things of life? Changing a diaper. I'm not thinking about my purpose in life. Paying the bills, and there's just not enough there. I'm not thinking about my purpose in life. I'm thinking about, how do I pay this stinking thing? What do I do? That's what you're thinking about. And you lose focus of your purpose in life. Well, when hardships come, we can easily divert. And God's saying, if you don't keep your focus here, you will fail. You will become faint-hearted. You'll become weak, and you'll give up. We'll lose sight of our purpose. Secondly, we'll cut off his powerful aid. Can I really emphasize this here? You t- turn your gaze away from Jesus. You, you stop considering Jesus, and you will cut off, you will cut off God's divine, powerful aid. Can you think of another word for that? Thank you. Grace. You look somewhere other than Christ and you lose grace. What does it mean you lose grace? Does it mean I lost the grace of salvation? No. It means you don't have grace for the hour, which is what you need, right? Grace for this minute. Not grace for tomorrow. Grace for now. I need grace. Paul told the Galatians at the end of Galatians 2, I do not nullify the grace of God. That's what it says in the ESV. In the New King James, it says, I do not set aside the grace of God. In the King James, it says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. It's like, I don't need that. I'm all set. I don't frustrate the grace of God. You know what that means? Here God is, this is what he does. He gives us what we need. He gives us what we need all the time. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. He's always giving us what we need. And sometimes I'm like, Thank you, Lord. I need that. 
I need that. Use it in my life so I will demonstrate Christ, so people will see your love in me, so people will see your joy in me, your peace in me, your long-suffering in me, so people will see you. Help me. I, I need this. And other times we're like, I got it. I've been walking the Christian walk for years. I know how to do it. So I'm just going to do it. And you know what? You're not attended with God's grace. God's grace is not walking along with you. Oh, it's there. You said, no, thank you. I'll do it myself. Well, like the little kids, the little babies. They, oh, they start learning something. Ooh, I'll do it myself. I'm good. We do it. We do it every day. And here we're warned if we don't keep our focus on Christ, we too will become weary and faint-hearted because we'll be setting aside the grace of God. That's the first motivator. Consider Jesus' earthly example. He endured to the end by grace, by the power of God, because he is God, also attended by the Spirit of God. We know the Spirit was in him in his ministry, so we know all of those things. There's a second motivator, and we'll get right to the point. Consider the Heavenly Father's pattern. Consider the Heavenly Father's pattern. He says in verse 5, and have you forgotten? And, and, and what? What do you mean and? If you just started with have you forgotten, I'd just, I'd just go off on my way. I'd be good to go. But he says, and have you forgotten? It ties back to verse 3, which is this. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So what we see in verses 5 and following is so we don't grow weary and faint-hearted. He says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Oh, wait a second. I'm one of God's sons. I'm one of God's children. I have a father who's in heaven. Have you forgotten the exhortation that comes to you as sons? What does it say? My son, do not Take lightly, regard lightly, the discipline or training of the Lord. Nor be wary when you are rebuked by him. For the Lord disciplines, trains the one he loves. And he chastises, the word there is scourges. It's an interesting word. Scourges means like it almost, it's like a whipping. He chastises every son whom he receives. What is he talking about? God trains. Well, that's easy. Okay, he, he sets things in, in our lives, and, and those things train us in godliness. They train us in righteousness. They bring forth the peaceable fruits of righteousness. I, I can understand that. The, these things that, that bring a, a burden on our faith. You think of Abraham, and God gives him the in, unfathomable task of, of sacrificing his son Isaac. So he, he's like, God told me to do this. I don't, I don't get it. That's the son of promise. This is where everything that he's, God's told me was going to come to pass through him. What am I going to do? He doesn't say any of that. He just says he takes him up the mountain. He brings the wood and the fire. Hey, Dad, what are we sacrificing? Uh, you, son. No, he didn't say that. He said, God, God will provide the sacrifice. He gets on the mountain, gets his son set up, lifts the knife in the air. I just can't, I can't bring myself there. I can't, I can't get my head there. Lifts the knife up. God stops him. Stop right there. I know you believe me. Hey, over there in the thicket, look. A ram. Imagine that. God provided the sacrifice just like Abraham knew something's going to happen. Well, we know that it says he knew that God would raise him up. Okay, great. I can kill him, God will raise him. That will still make me feel great. No, it's a testing of his faith. Training is hard. So I, I, can, I, can, I can get my head around the difficulties in life and what God is doing in 
bringing out that training in my life. Then there's this thing of scourging. And it makes you wonder, what exactly does that mean? And then you think back over your Christian experience. And you think over those times where you just, you weren't right. You, you got into a, a pattern where you just walked away from the Lord and God wouldn't let you feel comfortable with it. What was he doing? Well, did he actually rip your flesh from off your back? No. How happy were you? You ever have inner turmoil? If you read Psalm 32 and Psalm 38, you can see the effects of unconfessed sin in David's life. Not only did he experience mental anguish and spiritual parchment, parching, he also felt physical pain. Why? God was not going to let his sweet psalmist of Israel, the, the king of Israel, he wasn't going to let him just go his own way. That's not what a loving father does. I don't, I don't let my kids do whatever they feel like. Why? I love them. You kidding me? I'm just going to let them do whatever they want so that someday they can come across the wrong person and do whatever they want and get pummeled? Think I'm going to do that to them? No, that's foolish. It's foolhardy to let your kids do whatever they want. Now, we're starting to see that the world has a, has a better way than we do, and don't ever say no to your child. No is a bad word. We can't say those kinds of things in our schools and in our daycare facilities. Don't say no. They, they might be mortally damaged. You know what? They're mortally damaged when they don't hear no. I'm not trying to preach up and whip you up into something. I'm trying to tell you there's a reason why we discipline our children. We care about them. I don't want my, my sons to, to, to think everything gets handed to them. I want to care for them, and I want, to, I want to provide for them. Yes, I want to do all that. I want my daughter to know how much I love her, and, and I want to provide what I can so that, so that things are good. But, but it, it's not like she can just go off and do whatever she feels like doing, and I say, oh, you know, you're your own person. No, I have a responsibility to train my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's nurture and admonition. It actually has the idea of training, training. So God, in the midst of our deviation from him, says, that's not going to feel good because I don't want you to stay there. So you felt that. You felt that. I guarantee you felt it. If you don't know what it was, I'm telling you, it's God scourging you. He's saying, you're not going to be happy wandering in the wrong direction because the place you belong is on the path I laid out for you, and that's looking unto Jesus not looking at your flesh and looking at the world about you and doing whatever comes naturally to you. Doing what comes from the Spirit is what is supposed to be for you, and that's where you'll feel satisfaction. That's where your deepest longings will be met. So we have this kindly father. He says, don't forget that the difficulties that you're facing are not taking place, listen carefully, out of God's providential care. Don't forget that the difficulties that you're facing are not taking place outside of God's providential care. These things you're facing that you don't like, they are from Him. They're from Him. Don't run away. They're from God. You need it. So walk the path. Follow Christ. I find it interesting that God takes full responsibility for the troubles that these Christians were facing. Because they were facing evil people that were doing those things. You know, I want you to translate that to today. Evil people do all kinds of things. We don't say, God shot that person, God shot those 49 people. That's, that is foolishness. Some wicked person went into a nightclub and murdered people. He did it. He's evil. It's, it's on him. And yet God supernaturally attends these circumstances to bring forth something. To bring forth something. Who's responsible? That evil guy is responsible. And God does something through it. Well, the circumstances you also are facing are difficult and God is not asleep. The term discipline means training. God's training reveals some things. First of all, it reveals his love for us. Look at verse 6. For the Lord disciplines those or the ones 
that he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. God's training also reveals this, that we have a relationship with him. Verse 7, it is for discipline, for training that we have to endure. God is treating you as sons, so we have a relationship with him. For what son is there whom the, his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, if you can walk away from God and everything's fine, hold on to your socks, friend. And what it means? It says you are illegitimate children and not sons. If you can walk away from God and God does not bring you back, you weren't his. I have a heavenly father that loves me enough not to let me wander without consequences and without bringing me back where I need to be. This is a good thing, friends. Some people might look at it as bad. I think it's the best thing in the whole world because I know what I do. I know where my, my mind leads. I know where I'd be if I were in control of my life and it would not be the right place. But God but God. Those two sweet words from Ephesians chapter 2. But God. He won't leave me alone. <laughs> he won't leave me alone. Imagine that. You're pestering me. No, he won't leave me alone. This is the best news that God cares. God's training results in our good. Look at verses 9 and 10. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Why did we respect them? Because we knew that they cared about us. We knew that they were trying the best. It says, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our human fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Uh, think about that. You know, your fathers, they come to the end of themselves. Sometimes they get frustrated. Sometimes I get frustrated. I try to, to deal with my kids in the way that's best for them. Sometimes it's not the best way, and I have to go back and say, hey, I didn't do it the right way. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have responded that way. I shouldn't have given you that consequence. It was an overreaction. Forgive me. Here's what we're going to do instead. Like, sometimes I have to deal with it. We do what, we seem, what seems best, and, and even in that we fail. But look at what it says. But he disciplines us for our good. I wish that when I received the Spirit, I also received omniscience. Don't you? When God disciplines, he never has to go back and say, Oof, sorry, I overreacted. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows what we need. So when he does it, he does it for our good, and it's always right. And what is that good? That we may share his holiness. Verse 11, God's training may be painful at times. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. So we're not talking about just willy-nilly, um, no, you shouldn't do that, Robert. Now, don't do that again. Or like Mr. Searles, you need to turn over a new leaf, Robert. Remember that? It's, pointing at me with those fingers. You need to turn over a new leaf. Not that. It, it might be painful. And it might anguish here. Heaviness, burden, physical, emotional, spiritual pain. But he's doing something. It might be painful, but God's training produces fruit. Look at the end of verse 10. It says that we may share his holiness. The end of verse 11, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So there's something here for us. Now, there's a passage in 1 Peter chapter 4 that's really precious. See, remember, we're talking about in verses 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2, remember, it's difficult to continue because of our weakness, right? Our weakness. Verses 3 through 11, it's difficult to, to, to continue because of our circumstances. Our circumstances are difficult sometimes. And, and those circumstances are orchestrated by God himself. Our Heavenly Father allows circumstances into our lives that are difficult for a reason. And with that, he provides some things that we need. In, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, it says, If you are insulted, if difficulty comes your way, if, if you're persecuted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now that's true of every believer. The Spirit of God dwells in me. 
So when he says, when you're in this condition, when this difficulty comes your way and the Spirit rests upon you, he's talking about something different than the Spirit being in you. He's saying, I will superintend this situation, attend to you in a, in a special way. When difficulty comes, God is not absent. Why? Because he's our Father and he cares for us and his training is beneficial to us. In the process of our difficulties, we learn when we learn to yield ourselves to the loving hands of our Heavenly Father, His Spirit of holiness, comfort, and strength is not only in us, but filling us, filling us, which is what we need. All of this comes in the face of our own struggle against sin, our struggle with the difficulties we face, and in the midst of the church to which God has called us. We don't struggle alone. You don't struggle alone. We have our Savior looking unto Jesus. Consider Him. We have our Father supernaturally, sovereignly, lovingly attending our lives, caring for our lives and our church. I wonder if there are any implications for discipleship in this text. It took a long time to get to that question, and you didn't think I was going there. But there are implications to discipleship in this text. And that is that we can't abandon one another in the face of what we're going through. You see the weak person, you don't think, that weak person, <laughs> got to go help them. No. You remember your own self. So in, in Galatians 6, 1, if any man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, ho, 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 ho. no, you who are related properly to the spirit, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of Meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted and end up in the dirt so someone has to come and lift you out of it. There are some great implications, and I, I'm, I'm going to leave the rest of those implications for your own mind, and I want you to think them through. You're responsible. I, I can only lead us in this worship. You're responsible to worship. I can't worship for you. Part of worship is understanding the implications of the text. I've led you into one way to think about it. I bid you, as you depart in a few minutes, to consider how these things uh, apply to your life and to the ministry that God has called you to be a part of. Let's pray together. Father, you're a great, great Father, and we love you, and we're thankful for your care and your provision, the way you deal with us, the example that you've left for us, the power that you attend to us with. We are grateful and we are desperate for your help. Help us to yield ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.